0: The Nick Franklin Method presents, How to Run a Crew, Methods of Leadership. Curated by Nick Franklin. Read by one of his many, virtual assistants. Chapter 1 Rules to keep in mind when you are a leader. What benefits the enemy, harms you, and what benefits you, harm the enemy. Whoever is more vigilant in observing the designs of the enemy in war, and endures much hardship in training his army, will incur fewer dangers, and can have greater hope for victory. Never lead your soldiers into an engagement unless you are assured of their courage, know they are without fear, and are organized, and never make an attempt unless you see they hope for victory. It is better to defeat the enemy by hunger than with steel, in such victory fortune counts more than virtue. No proceeding is better than that which you have concealed from the enemy until the time you have executed it. To know how to recognize an opportunity in war, and take it, benefits you more than anything else. Nature creates few men brave, industry and training makes many. Discipline in war counts more than fury. If some on the side of the enemy desert to come to your service, if they be loyal, they will always make you a great acquisition, for the forces of the adversary diminish more with the loss of those who flee, than with those who are killed, even though the name of the fugitives is suspect to the new friends, and odious to the old. It is better in organizing an engagement to reserve great aid behind the front line, than to spread out your soldiers to make a greater front. He is overcome with difficulty, who knows how to recognize his forces and those of the enemy. The virtue of the soldiers is worth more than a multitude, and the sight is often of more benefit per virtue. New and speedy things frighten armies, while the customary and slow things are esteemed little by them, you will therefore make your army experienced, and learn, the strength, of a new enemy by skirmishes, before you come to an engagement with him. Whoever pursues a rooted enemy, in a disorganized manner, does nothing but become vanquished from having been a victor. Whoever does not make provisions necessary to live, eat, is overcome without steel. Whoever trusts more in cavalry than in infantry, or more in infantry than in cavalry, must settle for the location. If you want to see whether any spy has come into the camp during the day, have no one go to his quarters. Change your proceeding when you become aware that the enemy has foreseen it. Counsel with many on the things you ought to do, and confer with few on what you do afterwards. When soldiers are confined to their quarters, they are kept by fear or punishment, then when they are led by war, they are led by hope and reward. Good captains never come to an engagement unless necessity compels them, or the opportunity calls them. Act so your enemies do not know how you want to organize your army for battle, and in whatever way you organize them, arrange it so that the first line can be received by the second and by the third. In a battle, never use a company for some other purpose than what you have assigned it to, unless you want to cause disorder. Accidents are remedied with difficulty, unless you quickly take the facility of thinking, men, steel, money, and bread, are their sinews of war, but of these four, the first two are more necessary, for men and steel find money and bread, but money and bread do not find men and steel. The unarmed rich man is the prize of the poor soldier. Accustom your soldiers to despise delicate living and luxurious clothing, Considering thus how much honor is awarded to antiquity, and how many times, letting pass infinite other examples, a fragment of an ancient statue has been bought at high price because someone wants to have it near oneself, to honor his house with it and to be able to have it imitated by those who delight in that art, and how the latter then strive with all industry to represent it in all their works, and seeing, on the other hand, that the most virtuous works the histories show us, which have been done by ancient kingdoms and republics, by kings, captains, citizens, legislators, and others who have labored for their fatherland, are rather admired than imitated. Indeed they are so much shunned by everyone in every least thing that no sign of that ancient virtue remains with us, I can do no other than marvel and grieve. From this it arises that the infinite number who read, the histories, take pleasure in hearing of the variety of accidents contained within them without thinking of imitating them, judging that imitation is not only difficult but impossible, as if heaven, sun, elements, Men had varied in motion, order, and power from what they were in antiquity, wishing, therefore, to turn men from this error. For a monarchy readily becomes a tyranny, an aristocracy an oligarchy, while a democracy tends to degenerate into anarchy. So that if the founder of a state should establish any one of these three forms of government, He establishes it for a short time only, since no precaution he may take can prevent it from sliding into its contrary, by reason of the close resemblance which, in this case, the virtue bears to the vice. Men are driven by two principal impulses, either by love or by fear. Tags, driving forces, hate, impulses, love, men 355 likes like. Let no man, therefore, lose heart from thinking that he cannot do what others have done before him, for, as I said in my preface, men are born, and live, and die, always in accordance with the same rules. Everything that occurs in the world, in every epoch, has something that corresponds to it in ancient times. Considering thus how much honor is awarded to antiquity, and how many times, letting pass infinite other examples, a fragment of an ancient statue has been bought at high price because someone wants to have it near oneself, to honor his house with it, and to be able to have it imitated by those who delight in that art, and how the latter then strive with all industry to represent it in all their works, and seeing On the other hand, that the most virtuous works the histories show us, which have been done by ancient kingdoms and republics, by kings, captains, citizens, legislators, and others who have labored for their fatherland, are rather admired than imitated. Indeed they are so much shunned by everyone in every least thing that no sign of that ancient virtue remains with us, I can do no other than marvel and grieve. From this it arises that the infinite number who read the histories, take pleasure in hearing of the variety of accidents contained within them without thinking of imitating them, judging that imitation is not only difficult but impossible, as if heaven, sun, elements, men had varied in motion, order, and power from what they were in antiquity. Wishing, Therefore, to turn men from this error, I have judged it necessary to write on all those books of Titus Livy. For a monarchy readily becomes a tyranny, an aristocracy an oligarchy, while a democracy tends to degenerate into anarchy. So that if the founder of a state should establish any one of these three forms of government, He establishes it for a short time only, since no precaution he may take can prevent it from sliding into its contrary, by reason of the close resemblance which, in this case, the virtue bears to the vice. Whether this has ever happened I know not, nor whether it ever can happen. For we see, as I have said a little way back, that a city which owing to its pervading corruption has once begun to decline if it is to recover at all, must be saved not by the excellence of the people collectively, but of some one man then living among them, on whose death it at once relapses into its former plight, as happened with Thebes, in which the virtue of Epaminondas made it possible while he lived to preserve the form of a free government, but which fell again on his death into its old disorders. The reason being that hardly any ruler lives so long as to have time to accustom to right methods a city which has long been accustomed to wrong. We are taught how hateful a thing is calumny in all three states, as, indeed, in every society, and how we must neglect no means which may serve to check it. And there can be no more effectual means for checking calumny than by affording ample facilities for impeachment which is as useful in a commonwealth as the other is pernicious. And between them there is this difference, that calumny needs neither witness, nor circumstantial proof to establish it, so that any man may be calumniated by any other, but not impeached, since impeachment demands that there be substantive charges made, and trustworthy evidence to support them. A new prince in a city or province of which he has taken possession, ought to make everything new. Whosoever becomes prince of a city or state, more especially if his position be so insecure that he cannot resort to constitutional government either in the form of a republic or a monarchy, will find that the best way to preserve his princedom is to renew the whole institutions of that state, that is to say, to create new magistracies with new names, confer new powers, and employ new men, filling the hungry with good things, and sending the rich empty away. Moreover, he must pull down existing towns and rebuild them, removing their inhabitants from one place to another, and, in short, leave nothing in the country as he found it, so that there shall be neither rank, nor condition, nor honor nor wealth which its possessor can refer to any but to him. And he must take example from Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander, who by means such as these, from being a petty prince became monarch of all Greece, and of whom it was written that he shifted men from province to province as a shepherd moves his flocks from one pasture to another. These indeed are most cruel expedients. Contrary not merely to every Christian, but to every civilized rule of conduct, and such as every man should shun, choosing rather to lead a private life than to be a king on terms so hurtful to mankind, but he who will not keep to the fair path of virtue, must to maintain himself enter this path of evil. Men, however, not knowing how to be wholly good or wholly bad, choose for themselves certain middle ways, which of all others are the most pernicious, as shall be shown by an instance in the following chapter. In summary. Hereditary principalities, which are inherited by the ruler. Mixed principalities, territories that are annexed to the ruler's existing territories. New principalities, which may be acquired by several methods, by one's own power by the power of others, by criminal acts or extreme cruelty, or by the will of the people, civic principalities, ecclesiastical principalities, namely the papal states belonging to the catholic church, the types of armies, mercenaries or hired soldiers, which are dangerous and unreliable, auxiliaries. Troops that are loaned to you by other rulers, also dangerous and unreliable. Native troops, composed of one's own citizens or subjects, by far the most desirable kind. Mixed troops, a combination of native troops and mercenaries or auxiliaries, still less desirable than a completely native army. The character and behavior of the prince. It is better to be stingy than generous. It is better to be cruel than merciful. It is better to break promises if keeping them would be against one's interests. Princes must avoid making themselves hated and despised. The goodwill of the people is a better defense than any fortress. Princes should undertake great projects to enhance their reputation. Princes should choose wise advisers and avoid flatterers.